Welcome to this episode of the Comedy Defect Podcast. My name is Winter. I'm on Instagram at WinterDominus. That's Winter, D-O-M-I-N-U-S. And I'm on Twitter and it's at Joker underscore season. Now I deleted my old Twitter account and I've created a new one. And that tag, as I said, is at Joker season. Follow me there. I've got 15 followers. I've done about 10 tweets because I took all the jokes from my old account and rewrote them. I wanted to put them into my stand-up before the lockdown happened. And then kind of the momentum went away. So if you want to go and follow me there, you can. I've got a YouTube channel for the comedy defect and one for me which is called winter d that's where i am so yeah so if you want to check my stuff out there you can now look this is episode 76 of the comedy defect podcast with a very industrious comedian luke anthony we recorded his uh podcast called the comedian's outlook in the same day so there's a couple of callbacks there so go to listen to my episode uh, first and then listen to to this one I would recommend that because there's a couple of callbacks from his to mine, just that we had fun with it, just to kind of, you know, link them together. A bit of an in-joke, why not have fun? Uh, Luke's a really lovely fella. I spent a lovely hour and a bit with him and we're talking about comedy and what his plans are for the next year. Go and check him out. He's from Cambridge and he's set up a night there. So if you ever get a chance to go and see his night, his live shows, his live podcasts, go and do that. He's a very funny guy and a really lovely fella to boot. So if you want to check him out on radio as well, you can, but all his socials are at Luke, a comedian. That is Luke, a comedian, L-U-K-E, a comedian on the socials. And his website is lukeanthony.co.uk. But very funny guy, really lovely fella. And he's doing some great things in Cambridge around that, those parts as well. So yeah, going to make this short guys because I think sometimes the intros can be really annoying for any podcast I listen to it's like just get on with the content so here it is episode 76 with a very funny guy lovely fella Luke Anthony Luke Anthony, uh, welcome to the Comedy Defect. Thank you for me for uh, meeting me in your own house. <laughs> How are yeah. you doing? You're right. Yeah. Well found. I didn't even give you an address. You're an amazing driver. I am pretty good. I've been yeah. to Ellie, Ellie, Eli. Was we're, we're in Ellie. Ely. 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 Oh, I didn't even say it right. It's got three uh, pronunciations. Named Ely. after eels. Oh, is that right? Isle of Ely. Oh, okay. It's an island of not that much water, to be honest. Well, you know, I, I've circled by a river, I think. I don't know. Is that right? Oh, well, the, the, because the roads are pretty high, and I've gone yeah. turned corners here um, and not known that it was a corner, uh, just on the way to hitting it. And the police are, <laughs> the police are uh, do, at night, they do sort of hang around the area of Ely. They kind of border the edge, I guess, so you, they don't, you don't drive off and into the fence, isn't it? And that's what it is. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's dangerous, yeah. man, around here. Because I, 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 I was dropping some, because my wife, I was saying before, is, uh, she sells crystals and things like that. And, and uh, I was dropping some tarot cards off to somebody in the area. And I was, man, I only <laughs> drove off the road, you know, I should have done the tarot myself before, just in case I was going to have a good night, you know. But it was, because I, I, I was doing a gig in Cambridge that night. And then uh, I was like, yeah, I should be able to just drive, drive to uh, Ely and then get to the gig. And also, I didn't realize how far. Ely is from Cambridge. It's yeah, like it's yeah. miles away, man. I was like, oh, so anyway, like, thing of favor. But anyway, kind of it for a long time as well, and you can, and because of, like the light, you can see because it's so such flat lands, you can see so much for so long. So it feels like when you see the the cathedral, you're about five and a half miles away. That's the point right. at which you're, you when you can see that you can see you're nearly there. Yeah, but yeah. if you're walking, it's still another hour or so. Ely's great. I love it. I, I was you you speak about. Police stopping people. I I was stopped, and one of the things we like doing comedy and, and traveling about a lot is, is that you go to a gig, you have a couple of beers, you mm. drive home, mm. and I've never been stopped before ever at all. And the only time I've ever been stopped, and it was very recently, was when I'd had three beers and I'd been at a gig and I I spaced them out. Like fair enough, mm-hmm. I was there from seven and 
you know, they caught me at sort of half, half eleven. And so I was on the way home. I was like, right, I've had a, I've been really tired. I gigged every single night that week. I had a couple of nights where I did two in one night and I was knackered. The, the partner was away, so I was allowed to do as many gigs as I wanted. I did so many. And then I was like five miles away from Amelia. I could see the cathedral, right, in the distance. And the police come up to me and stopped me and they, they, the, the blue flashing lights came over, they pulled me over and I was, you know, I'm a good law-abiding citizen, right? And I was really nervous. Um, I was worried because I'd, you know, I'd, I'd listened to a podcast via mm. the car and stuff like that and I was worried about the streaming thing and all that sort of stuff. And yeah. They stopped me, they told me to get out and it was, they stopped me because I was driving quite close up behind the car in front. Right. I, was, I was eyeing up an opportunity to overtake yeah, them. Yeah, yeah. And so I was weaving in and out of, I, I, was, I was sort of drifting yep. to sort of the, the oncoming traffic lane just to, to see if I could overtake. Mm. But I never did for about, for about 10 miles, I didn't overtake. And so they pulled me over and they said, oh, you've been driving a little bit erratically, we we're mm. worried about you driving it very close, you're applying the brakes very often. Mm. Um, well, I hadn't realised that my brakes were very, very dodgy at the time. Right. They were grinding and they were awful, oh, so I was no. braking a lot more often because I was, I was very <laughs> conscious of that. It's about to come off, like, in no <laughs> brakes at all, yeah. Yeah, exactly, Oh, yeah. man. Um, so they stopped me and they said, we're going to have to breathalyze you. They do the whole vehicle check, they do your tax check, they do everything, your insurance and all that. Bear in mind, I've had three points, so I'm yeah, thinking, yeah. Like, I've never been breathalyzed before, uh-huh. so I don't know what my limit is. Yeah, of course. Right? I've seen all of the commercials, I've seen all the... Don't drink and drive and all Not that even sort of one stuff. drink. That's yeah. it. Like, oh, no, I'm three. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've seen all of that. He breathalyzed. He breathalyzed me. I knew what the result was because there was this massive deflation in his face because he was so disappointed because there wasn't a single unit or level of alcohol in my body at all. Wow. In my breath, there was nothing. And I had three pints. I was like, fucking hell. This is, blood. this is the Irish blood. This is the Irish blood. Yeah. That's yeah, great. Yeah. Come on, so Celtic gonna... blue blood. That's right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. nice one. So I'm, yeah. I'm gonna the luck of the Irish. So I'm, I'm yeah. gonna push it. I'm gonna push it to four <laughs> points and see where we get to. So yeah. yeah, but it was just the way he was so disappointed. Yeah. It was like his first nick that he wow. was gonna get, and he was absolutely certain this is gonna happen. Yes. And he was like, "Just drive carefully, mate. Please, thank you." And I, that was it. On your way. I got stopped in Dublin when I was living there, uh, and uh, when I was on a bicycle. And I was hammered. Yeah. <laughs> I was hammered. I was cycling. I was cycling down Rath Mines in Dublin, and uh, I was coming around the roundabout. And the guards stopped and pulled me over, and they were like, uh, <laughs> "It's like the guard said to me, can you cycle in a straight line?'" And I did, uh, just about like I was like, you know, just, like, just like, but he didn't even he didn't even he didn't even arrest me. Like he just like I was like you know I was like yeah just off just off you go couldn't yeah, yeah, bother yeah. with the paperwork. You know what I mean? So you're a comedian. Yeah, I, I don't know if I can or call myself a comedian. I don't know at what point you can. I mean, right. I guess when you start getting paid for it, really. Or I, I um, think you're a comedian when you start writing and you start performing. Yeah. I think that's. I think that's so. I've, I've been a comedian since the age of seven. Then. Oh wow! Um, I, I used to want to be a comedian from a really really young age. Mm. Yeah. Um, seven's the furthest back I remember getting up and performing in front of people telling jokes. What was your first joke? I oh my god, probably would have been like some kids' TV sort mm. of piece together sort of comedy I, I don't remember what my first joke is to be honest um, it's seven years old yeah, man. come usually, on come on Luke come on, yeah, come on. usually people can tell their first joke memoirs at that stage <laughs> yeah. I was like okay dear diary I wrote my, did my first gig today you know that's it if there's one regret in my life is that I didn't start like a mm. diary that young because yeah. imagine the material you'd have if you started writing that's true yeah, like a diary at that stage, and now you'd 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 be sorted. It'd be so, the stuff I'm trying to remember now that I want to talk about, mm. but the details are getting more and more vague, and mm. I get really nervous that if I don't write them now, or I don't start writing them or getting notes for them, one day my brain's gonna no. fail, and I'm not gonna. I'm not going to have to tell them anymore. But then maybe that's why people do loads of fringe shows as well, so they can like you know hone these stories. 
Like I saw Jules Constant last night. Uh, yeah, yeah, wow. And, and and he was doing lots of stories about he's about him turning fifty and like going back over his life. I was like, oh, of course, you're just trying to put these into into your mind again to reinforce them. As as you say, when you your your mind starts to go to you know to start to disintegrate and go to mush. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it's like so. But you, so you're seven. So and uh, was it all physical stuff? Did you have like do you have puppets as well, or did you? Like, yeah, do so I'd be dressing up. I'd be I'd be cross dressing. I'd be wanting right. to perform. I'd be you know, all that sort of stuff. So like I'd always want to anything that was different to what people would expect. You're performing in the most safest space possible yeah. because you've got right. your grandmas and your granddad and. Your great nan and all that sort of stuff, and anything you do is always going to go down well. You get a sort of false sense of brilliance that you think you're amazing. Do you know what? You um, only could bottle that, huh? That's yeah, why yeah, I just yeah. hold on to that, you know. That, did you do magic as well, or? No, none of that. I was never interested in magic. I enjoy watching Illusionist, and I enjoy that kind of mind play and that psychological sort of stuff. I enjoy watching it or seeing it. I don't believe in magic, but I believe in illusion, I believe in mind tricks and stuff. But no, and, and I guess. I guess then, at that age, you, you see your comedians, but the comedians that I went on to enjoy listening to, I'd never been able to watch them as a kid. So I always thought that, you know, you become an actor, can't, there's no difference between a comedian and an actor. So mm. I went down the acting route from, you know, I, I, I joined acting classes and that's what I did. I mm. just went to drama mm. classes and amateur dramatics and did an improv and mm. I attended like a an acting school called uh, the the Actors Company, and mm-hmm. they acted as an agent. I did lots of extras work and all right. that sort of stuff. So that was my first sort of experience of being creative, really. Mm-hmm. And I, I sort of didn't write as much because of that. And I thought that acting's a thing I want to do. That's what I'm going to do. And I thought, okay, that's fine, great, got a direction. My dad always said that you know concentrate at school mm-hmm. and then you know do all this stuff on the side, get mm-hmm. something behind you, get your education. And mm-hmm. I, I never really concentrated in school. Mm-hmm. I mean, I I got to sort of 14 and I was diagnosed with bipolar at 15 and right. and that was a game changer right okay. you know from being wanting to be an actor then yeah. and then suddenly actually in this kind of broken reality of mine I was an actor I was mm. famous and I was this and I was yeah. like I was like everything that I I dreamt of being so I'd lived it and I'd hallucinated it and, mm. and imagined it like for real and I could feel it I had already experienced what it could be like to have that and be in the industry. So yeah. when that did happen and I came back down and I got my life back together at the mm. age of sort of 15, 16, it was a very big thing to be dealing with at that age. Um, I was then suddenly segregated from like kind of, I lost my friends because I was off for three months from school. Um, there was third year, so a couple of years in, it was in the summer holidays. By the time I went back, I was in psychosis and, and I was never going to belong the friends that I'd made. Mm could never understand what I was going through. I was going into teenagehood, which is very, very confusing. And it was a very, very difficult, toxic place for me to be at school because of this. And at the end of school, I thought, okay, right. Okay, so now I've got this new found... It almost opened up the, these gates to all this creativity that I never thought I had before. And and I guess it was kind of... That was a point where I thought that maybe there's more to this than just acting. Mm. Maybe I could be the creator of this. Maybe I can be the architect mm of these thoughts and, and of the of this creativity and this, this performance. So I did. I, I got all my favourite comedians, put together this sort of set of amalgamations. It was some a bit of um bit of Jim Carrey, a bit of Spencer Brown who was quite big at mm-hmm. the time. Um put them all into one set and did it and then there was I did loads of stuff with the uh, with the with the teachers and, mm-hmm. and it was the last assembly of the school. It was the last thing that everyone was ever gonna see. Great. And I did it all on stage. I defamed all the teachers I did so yeah. really, really sort of like close to the nail stuff and it went really well it went down absolute storm but because yeah. of that 
adrenaline just because yeah. of that drive just because of that feeling of how amazing it felt and i thought i hadn't felt this since i was in psychosis and manic right it actually caused another manic episode oh, no right right and so because of that mm-hmm. performing became a bad thing writing became a bad thing for me because i thought every time i do something that i really love when i go to that extreme mm. i don't know how to control my mm. bipolar because i just go too fast and i want to do everything i want to keep doing it and i get addicted to it so and you become obsessed you, you just yeah, you yeah, just, yeah, you yeah. Just, yeah every comic has this obsession with with comedy it's like we, you try to learn everything now because you you just enjoy comedy so much yeah. it's like and and then you just but because there's so, such a huge back catalog you're like i need to get through all this i need yeah, to yeah, i need yeah. to i need to finish this so yeah. so to, to be that thing that i that i that i want to become i need to absorb everything uh, yeah. I, I i totally relate to that because i when i first started like performance and, and, and comedy I, I became obsessed like absolutely you know I, you wouldn't sleep is, is, exactly, is that what yeah. happened with you? Just like, well, yeah, exactly. Yeah, you just you just stay up till four in the morning, mm. and then you go to college at nine. Mm. And anyone with with any with or without mental health issues or whatever mm. are going to struggle with that strain on your your mental health. And just anyone's going to go through yeah. that. And so, times that by a hundred with with a mental health issue like mm. bipolar can get very very severe, because every time you fall into psychosis and or, or you have a manic episode everything around you falls falls apart. So yeah. all those relationships, all those friendships you've mm. built, all those connections you had with people, all those sort of plans you made when you were high, mm-hmm. suddenly you have to cut everything, and mm-hmm. cut all ties, and no one's ever going to understand, no matter how many times you explain mm-hmm. it, why you did it. Yeah. And it's just because I can't. I can't do it because of it. Mm. And so I, I play something very negative to that. And then uh, sixth form, study, drama, performing arts, media. And I didn't do media because I'd already done that in GCC and I thought it was a waste of time but then I actually went on and did media later on but we'll get to that um, mm-hmm. so performing arts business all that sort of stuff and I thought okay let's go to let's go to sixth form and, and, and did that and put comedy to bed left it that's it that's, that's done there's no more got through the acting thing did had this big opportunity um, this, is, this film which is a, a screenplay of The Boy Who Saved the World written by Sam Mills, fantastic author, amazing, amazing book. This group were going to make it. I auditioned for it. This is during college. Got the part. It was they, it was going to go big. They had a big, and a very, very small budget for it, but it had big opportunities. It was a very popular book at the time. Anyway, got a little bit done over with that. You know, the, the contract had every loophole in it possible. We did three shoots, and then they told us we had to audition for it again at the mm. end of it. And we'd all forked out a lot of money. They forked out a lot of money. Mm. They lost the rights and the license to that book. But that kind of burnt a bridge with the college at the time because they were like, oh, no, acting. You know, you know, um, films isn't what acting's all about and everything like that. And they, they got very pretentious about it. And I said, mm. well, well, film actors don't act, they become. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I got very, very toxic with my college. And then I lost interest because I thought, well, you're in my acting class. You're the ones mm. who should be pushing for this and enjoying this and I know you yeah I know the Brits and all that um the Brit um school of acting and and performing arts I know for them they're not allowed to do any other paid work outside of it they're not allowed to as part they have to be trained in a certain way and that's that's what they have Mm. to do so it's not uncommon and I only learned that later right so I thought okay directing let's try directing Mm. okay so I can't I can't perform on stage because I get too high acting is just full of idiots that think that theatre is better than film whereas I enjoy film more and so directing so I started writing and then directing again mm. and then what was the first thing you wrote? okay so I wrote many things beforehand sure. so I wrote many many blogs and sort of stuff and right. I, I wrote sketches do you still write blog as well? Or? I mean, occasionally mm. I sometimes do one that I wrote 
after an, an episode and uh, where I sort of changed my mindset and I sometimes return back to it being five years since then I think okay this is where I am now okay I don't, I don't blog as much because I think it's better told as the person mm. like a blog for me is an outlet and it's something that I don't necessarily need anyone to read whereas if I'm talking about mental health on stage mm. you're better watching the person that's delivering it because yeah. you you, you learn the about the person you get into that and all that uh, and, and yeah. so with the, the manic episodes, I'm really in, intrigued. Like, did you get any amazing material out of it? Like, you know, like that you've, the, is that, do you talk about that on stage as Only well? later. So I was like 18, 19, went back to college, did film um, production, and, and that's why I did the directing and everything. Mm-hmm. And that went okay. I wrote a few things, filmed a few sort of short films, got a bit of a name. Didn't go as well as I wanted it to, and I put that to bed as well. Mm-hmm. I started, did the typical thing that um, creative people do, start doing hospitality because that's the perfect industry mm-hmm. because it's flexible and I was really good at that they started pushing me down the management route then I was working 70 hours mm-hmm. a week mm-hmm. so I had no time to write anyway mm-hmm. and, and then I finally went back to Monday to Friday to allow more time for my relationship and mm-hmm. the creativity that's kind of skipped out a massive bit because then um, one of the things I do talk about is after college I was in a very very sort of relationship and I mentioned about how um you know, everything falls apart around mm-hmm. you. And so I was about 21, I was in this relationship, I was engaged, I was living, I was the first time I moved away from home and everything, and I was I was very, very happy, at a very lovely little place. 2012, I was playing football with a friend, I was going down to a field, and this is just as I met this girl that later became my fiance at mm-hmm. the time. Someone had tracked my route and had been stealing letters from me and someone else, and what they'd done was they'd tracked where I'd be, because I'd met this guy months before at a a pub, but he knew everything about me. He knew my bank details. He knew everything. Wow. You know, so what they'd done is stole this information, knew where I was going to be at a certain place at a certain time because of social media, and then forced me at knife point to have a check fraudulently paid into my bank account for me then to withdraw within a bank and then split the money between whoever's involved. Wow. At the time, I laundered money basically. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, laundered money. Yeah. So I thought there was only one person involved. Later realised there were people around the corners that I didn't see. There were people that were here. I was being followed by other people and everything like that. Wow. You know, very messy. I was arrested. Uh, I went to, went to the police the next day and um, told them everything that had happened. They arrested me under caution because they, they you know, the details could be, I could be like, standing to gain something, could yep. be standing to try and get... Um, anyway, so that all happened. Yep. I was very mentally unstable at that point because I was very, very nervous. I hadn't slept the night before mm-hmm. and all that sort of stuff. And... I think a couple of quid of what had happened had been spent by me, which then under under caution in an interview yeah. with the police, I I told them what happened and everything. And but I was I was not mentally stable. Mm. You know, I spent twelve hours in a cell. You know, at this point mm-hmm. with no with no medication, none yeah. of that sort of stuff. I was then put on bail for about probably about eight months. I kept returning to bail, mm-hmm. but the, the they the, by me assisting the police. And basically turning myself in, they had uncovered all this huge network of people that are involved in this whole wow. thing that have been doing all around the country. So these people that were just like pawns of this bigger organisation yeah. that were doing it all around the country, and it just got bigger and bigger and bigger. So I could never got let off bail until uh, for about eight months. Right. So I just met this girl. I mm. just moved in with her. This had just happened to mm. me. Right. I just had this whole horrible experience happen to me. Mm. She didn't really understand bipolar at the time. Mm. I was going for a... I never knew whether these people were around. One of the guys that was involved was someone I went to school with at primary mm. school, who I actually had a lot of respect for, Yeah. who I later recently bumped into and we shook hands and had a drink together, mm. um, which really felt good. 
So all this happened, and it was about two Did grand. Did the round? Yeah. <laughs> well, well, this is the thing. They all got the money. I had to withdraw yeah. the money, and I then had to pay every single penny of that back to the bank. Eventually, I got I got charged. I got um I was I got I got a police caution, which is a um which is just a warning, basically, mm. just a slap mm. on the wrist and said, "Don't do this again. This yeah. will be on your record indefinitely." Yeah, but you're held at knife point. What the hell? Are you yeah, I know. And they, they'd pick cash points that had no cameras. They knew where they all were. Yeah, the yeah. whole network. They knew everything. Anyway, so I essentially stole two grand off myself because I had to pay it all back. Yeah. So the, what what the, what I'm trying to get to with this is that then I was in this relationship, two and a half rela- two mm. and a half year relationship. That was probably quite toxic, probably quite unhealthy because mm. I was battling with this thing. I actually mm. didn't understand. I, 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 I never knew that. I knew that the, the, the magistrate's court, the Crown Court in Cambridge is just right near where I lived. Mm. I, they, I knew that these people were in and out of this court dealing mm. with these cases. I, I had no idea how the, the scale of this or who was involved or what people looked like. So I never knew what to look for. So I'd always look by my shoulder. Mm. I, was always, I never looked at a door. I never sat with my back to a door because I never knew who was going to be around. Mm-hmm. And so this anxiety that I had, this 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 deep anxiousness that I had, and I was always scared, fearing for my life all the time, eventually resulted in I got a job and I, I joined a company that did this kind of like charity fundraising where you go around and you knock on people's doors. Yeah, they, they call them charity muggets. Yeah. And you Chugger, go around, chuggers, eh? Chuggers, that's right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. They're, they're pretty yeah. marginalised now and, and yeah. pretty can't call them that. Um, yeah, that's true. That's true. Because they do do a good thing. Right? <laughs> they've, got a, they've got a gig running now as well. Um, Have they? Yeah, I think it's in London somewhere. Uh, they've got like a charity muggers uh, are only allowed to gig there. You know, no one else yeah. is allowed to gig there. Yeah, great. That's, that's brilliant. Uh, if you listen to the podcast, the Comedians Outlet podcast, that I when I interviewed Winter, this will all make sense. Yeah, <laughs> they're all connected. Listen it's to these back to back to make yeah. sense, right? Yeah. So. But the company that I worked for, I'm not going to mention the name. That they're, they're really nice guys, but they were this proper G up company where what type of stuff? So they're an outsourcer. So they they mm. so charities. What they would do? Charities will will basically have an allocation of money that they put to these companies, right? Yeah, yeah. That money's already been accounted for. Okay. They've already they they've already broken even on that. Like mm. charities have. So then all they do, they get outsourcing companies that go around and hire people yeah. to go around and get the sign-ons. And then you get a commission because of that. Basically, the charities have already lost the money before these people do it. Mm. But they get those sign-ons and then eventually they get more money. Mm. So that, it, it does work. But the day I realized that it was a bit dodgy was when the, the owner of the company said, I don't care about charities. I just want the money. Well, but anyway, mm. so they used to come to these GF meetings. And the worst thing in the world for someone with bipolar, who, <laughs> who generally is manic, is a G up meeting, right. right? So I got this whole thing about it. I talk about this in my stand up. I get this whole thing about gene people up and yeah. positivity. Be the change you want to see in the mm-hmm. world. Mm-hmm. You know, as one drop, we're just we're just as one drop, we're just on our own. But as an ocean, we're a big team and we can change the world yeah. and stuff. So this got all manifested into me going around Barry St Edmunds, uh-huh. G people up and saying, "Be the change you want to see in the world." You know, doing this sort mm-hmm. of like this kind of pilgrimage march thing, trying to get people up. Yeah. There's one thing I've learned about being English mm. is that they don't like positive people yeah. in public. They, someone called mm. the police and I was sectioned under the Mental Health Act for my safety and the public's safety. Right. The police picked me up and sent me to a safe location. And this is all on the back of everything that happened with this. It's over two years that this happened. Okay, right. So, did, did, so they saw your file and went, okay, they, they, they took you to a safe no, location. No, not at all. No, no, they, Someone just called the police and said that there's this person talking to people and it's a bit random and everything yeah. like that. And, I, and it was not at all in relation to... I didn't even think at this point I'd been found guilty of anything. I hadn't even spent my caution. I think I was still on bail at this right. point. 
And that overnight that ended my relationship. I was sectioned for three days. And I'll tell you why three days is so significant. And everything fell apart. I lost my job. I lost the house that I loved. I lost the partner that I loved. I had to move back home. I had now a police caution under my belt, Mm. you know. And I've been sectioned for three days. And I went in there. Imagine a mental institute, which is meant to be a calm, balanced place. Mm This guy's just been off the, just come off the street and he's just been geeing people up. He goes in there and upsets the balance completely. They discharged me in three days. I was too high for a mental institute. <laughs> um, too happy. Too this happy, guy's just yeah, way too happy. Too much, we need yeah. to put him somewhere else, yeah. But wow. that, that was a turning point. And all of this pain and tragedy and everything oh. that happened around that time and because of it and everything falling apart completely and completely changed my attitude towards life. And... Oh. You know, a couple of years later, um, I, I then went back to the drawing board, got, um, learned CAD, taught myself CAD and mm. all that sort of stuff, got myself a Monday to Friday job, all that sort of stuff. So, so how did it change your attitude towards life? I mean, is it like you were inc- incredibly positive. So did you, did it go, did you go negative or did you just like go, okay, I'm, I'm you, you turned your life into a different thing as in like you went to CAD? I think, I think I, it was at that point that I knew that these extremes Mm. Every time I go to an extreme, my life falls apart. Right. And I have to rebuild, I have to reinvent myself, I have mm. to become a different person every single time. Because mm. you do, because it changes yeah. you, because mm. these vivid, vivid hallucinations and psychosis that you mm. go through, it changes anyone. Like whilst to everyone else they can't see what you're seeing, mm. you're experiencing that. You remember that as an experience mm. as it actually happened. Mm. This is this links right back to what you said about can you joke about these things? Mm. And for a long time after that, for two or three years after that, I couldn't joke about mm. it. I couldn't write stuff about it because it, it just wasn't funny to me because mm. it was attached to so many yeah. fractures and things that didn't work. Mm. But now I look at it and, you know, my partner that I'm with now, the missus, she, she's amazing and she, she completely gets me. She completely mm. understands it and mm. she, she, she she's so open to me doing the comedy stuff and she thinks that she knows that I can't live without the writing, I can't live mm. without the performing, and that I'm not the same person if I don't do it. Mm. And so I rediscovered comedy a couple of years ago, and I started writing material that I could potentially turn into sketches mm. or turn into sitcom mm. or doing stand-up, and I was doing the odd gig here and there mm. a couple of years ago. But since 2018, I've been solidly gigging mm. regularly, yeah. trying out this material that I've been doing. All these things are linked to it. Mm. And I think the essence of what I'm trying to say is that it was something that I've I now I now accept it and understand it. I know that I know I know how to control it. I know how mm. to be happy on stage mm. and to be energized on stage mm. without jeopardizing my mood afterwards. Yeah, that's that's it. So it's like you've got the as you got you hold on to the rock uh, yeah. of, of joy, uh, uh, which yeah. is yours. You take it home with you, and you hold. You don't. No one takes it away. No one can control it. It's mine. It's yeah, mine. exactly. Yeah, it's, it's like um, and you've got to separate the two of them as well. Yeah, that's um, it comedy the comedy world is very different to my home world i go just before i go on stage i get a call from my partner and she said can you buy milk and bread yes sure i'm just about to go on stage yeah. the last thing i'm thinking about is milk and bread mm-hmm. i've actually turned that into a set now mm-hmm. but um because mm-hmm. i've had to because mm-hmm. it's so regular and then they come mm-hmm. off and they said um we're gonna have spag bowl for tomorrow yeah great yeah. brilliant and mm-hmm. it's amazing that i'm so grounded outside of comedy because yeah. I can joke about all the weirdest things with my comedy friends because they'll get it because they're all oppressed and weird people and yeah, mentally ill. Yeah. You know, it's like it's like being in it's like putting us all in one place, like in a mental institute, but this yeah. time we're allowed to do what we want. That's it. And we don't have medication except for alcohol sometimes. And <laughs> and then I'm going back home and it's just back to normal life, back yeah. to my day job on a Monday and 
yes, that's how I've managed to do it. I can go to the extreme because I know how. I know they're two separate things. So um, you've got to separate who you are from what you do, isn't it? That's the most important thing. If that thing doesn't go well, your entire world is at the total mercy of your job. That's never healthy. Yeah. Because that you can't. It's never going to fill you up. You know, your relationships yeah. are the most important. When when you first start, it's like oh, it's all weighing on this thing. If this gig doesn't go well, I mean, it's just a, just a gig. If it, it doesn't go well, I'm giving up tomorrow. Yeah, it's yeah. like oh, I've had three bad gigs. So what? You know what? You might need to take a break. Yeah, yeah. you know, you, we you, we put ourselves under so much pressure sometimes. But you know what, Luke? That story, an amazing friend show. <laughs> yeah, that would be an amazing. How long was that? that Thirty no, minutes. That's, so, uh, that, no, right. That that is an amazing. Like, there's loads of fun to be had in that, that being held at knife point. Mm. And and being forced to to launder money, you know, like it's you know people like that's a, that's an ex- a great story, man. That's it, you know, yeah, yeah. and all the other stuff in between, going to the the, the person like, look, I'm just, I don't think I, I'm trying to tell you this thing, but you know, I I know I don't look like the person that would be telling you this thing because I'm absolutely having an episode right now, but I'm sure that's what a person would say in this situation, isn't it? It's like <laughs> it's like totally, it's so. Um, because <laughs> it's 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 a it's a beautiful moment of chaos which you can you 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 uh you you can't control. It's like no, I'm I'm trying to be a good person, but you, yet you think that I'm a bad person because of the way I am being right now. You know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And this is not helping my my moment. You know, in in this moment, I'm trying to be good, but this you're, you think I'm bad, but I'm just again, this is becomes a the psychosis comes anywhere, doesn't it? Really, paranoia is a, a terrible thing, isn't it? It's uh, it is. I mean, and I was very paranoid because of that that mm. time period and. Yeah, it is a great story. I haven't told it on stage yet. I don't know why. I don't know. This is the first time I've actually told it on I think it recording. Be, yeah. um, I, but it all makes like telling the story of how I got to where I am now is is very important and integral to it. So mm. it it showed growth as a person. It showed maturity, and I think it was the maturity and realizing that you don't have to be in a rush for anything. Mm. I used to be in a rush for everything, mm. and then I realized that actually no, if I just stay back, and because because with bipolar, if something's a good idea right now. It's still a good idea in three weeks' time. So my mindset is changed in that sense. I used to be like, okay, I've got this idea, I've got to go now, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. It's okay, I still write notes right now. I write notes on my phone all the time. And I come home and say, look, babe, I'm going to be with you in just a second. I just mm-hmm. need to write this whole paragraph because it's, it's I'm inspired. I need mm-hmm. to do it. I need to get it off my chest. Mm-hmm. But do it. If I do this and I go to bed, I'm going to forget it tomorrow and I'm going to hate myself and I'm going to hate everything. I'm going to present you. We're going to have a shit weekend. Totally. That's what's going to happen. Totally. And so I just to do that. But at the same time, I know that I could come back to that idea in three weeks' time, and if it was a good idea, mm. it's still going to be a brilliant idea. Yeah. And that's made me very, very... I'm very lucky with bipolarity. That's mm. made me very stable in that sense, because I know that... I know how serious it's been. I guess going through that whole experience of the fraudulent mm. money and that, the money laundering and everything, and the knife point, and thinking that I was not going to live and all that sort of stuff, and then worrying about the impact that might have on my family and, and everything like that. I guess that's as bad as it's ever got for me. Mm. And so... Everything else is amazing, and I, I'm happy now, mm. and I don't want to lose that. And so, the more stable I can be now, the longer my life, my happiness can last. Mm. And, and yeah. What is directing then? You do the improv. Do you do, find that the improv helps your your bipolar tendency? And or is improv it... is good. Yeah, I'm very. I, do you know what? I I probably would. I, it's not really anyone could say this, but I, I'm very good when things happen as they go. So in a conversation, mm. maybe in a panel show or something like that, mm. I'd probably be quite good at improvising mm. on things that people say and mm. and I and it's funny that ties in really with like sort of MC and really mm-hmm. and it was, again it was something that I I um didn't enjoy doing when mm. I first started MC and I struggled with because mm. I did this sort of deadpan self-deprecating stuff and again that links to 
I don't want to go too mental on stage because mm. I've done that and I had a manic episode. Right, um, and, and how did that, did they laugh? Yeah, the self-deprecating stuff, and the, well, I still do self-deprecating stuff, but I yeah. mean, the deadpan stuff, which is very low energy, and mm. it's a very common thing with new acts and beginners and stuff, because they're nervous as fuck, yeah. but, and I just like the that, fear, right? That's yeah. Like, just like, dead, dead yeah, 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 yeah. It'll take the energy out of the room and, and give mm. the MC a real tough job afterwards. <laughs> yeah, that's a second. Uh, um, yeah. Yeah, uh, never put me on first, Jesus Christ. Yeah, um, yeah so I, and, and then I, I did one MC set um, for my comedy club, and I actually died on my ass. I right. talked about the bipolar stuff, it didn't work. And I decided, fuck this, I'm not doing mm-hmm. this. No way am I doing MC. And I'll get MCs in, that's mm-hmm. fine, that's done, never going to do it. Did one recently, didn't do any of the bipolar. I did a bit of it, actually, but I mm-hmm. did positive stuff and went down really well. Mm-hmm. Um, and now suddenly I think that I'd be all right at MCing. Well, I did MC years ago, yeah. when I, in 2010. Mm-hmm. I, I MC'd um, the Big Day Out, the Pop in the Park, Ooh, yeah. one of the smaller stages, which was for music acts. But So I've MC, I've done it before. I, yeah. just, I just, with comedy, it was a bit... Weird, you put yourself under too much pressure, so yeah, yeah. it's like you know, all you got to be is warm and, and just smiley, and then mm. like make everyone feel comfortable, isn't it? It's like you know, you're just talking, okay, how are you doing? You don't have to be funny all the time, yeah. you know, and a lot of MCs aren't funny at all, no, it's you know, true, but yeah. it's like you know, and, and they just they're just warm and, and nice, and they go, okay, we've got an act now, we just make them feel happy. Sometimes there's only like 10 people in the room, if you can make that 10 people feel ha- okay, right, it's going to be not not feel like they're just 10 people, just feel like they're having a conversation. The, the MC that night that you died in your arse, right. Mm. Is it was like was that just because you did just did material or you were just doing interaction or what? Well, I did a bit in between, but I, I yeah, I, I did a bit at the start. Opened it with my stuff. It was a difficult night anyway, but because I started on like you know I didn't start well, so then the whole night was on the back foot going yeah. forward. We spoke about it in my podcast with with you. Was was about that you know you don't you don't want to do that too early to. Mm to the wrong people you know there, there were people that I, I really respect in comedy that were there that night and they're pros and mm. I, I'm really embarrassed about that night but I'm like god it's okay I did a bad and they booked me again on their nights but mm. at the time I was just like Jesus Christ I've ruined everything I'm never yeah. going to be able to recover from this yeah. and I recently am seen and it's a complete game changer yeah. again um, but I think it's, I think that came with me not really caring anymore about yeah. what whether it worked or it didn't work mm. on stage like I went up there I thought I had to script this yeah I have to get it right. This is my message. Mm. This is what I'm getting across. Yeah. Everyone has to listen to it. And it shows on your face that yeah, that, yeah. that demeanor. You're like, right, I'm going on. I'm gonna, I'm gonna show them yeah. that, that I'm that I'm good. I'm gonna prove them. It's like, what? and then you go, why, why have you got to prove? Just gotta, just gotta have good, have a playful outlook and be happy and fun. Yeah, yeah. That's what it is. It's like you know that 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 kind of like oh, I'm gonna smash the, that that I'm gonna smash the gig kind of thing is the absolute opposite of what the, you need to do, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. And because I wanted to, I wanted to get that message across. And now I'm in the the place where I've got, I've done those five, five minutes. Excuse me, those five minute sets that have worked, you know, regularly, and mm. I've got those jokes that work regularly. Sometimes, you know, they don't always consistently work. But you know, you've got, I've got that kind of volume of material that now I can go on with a couple of premises and just play off what we're doing and and go down avenues and hopefully along that avenue I find a punchline. Because that's the, the, I guess what I do, I write and then remember it, screw that piece of paper up and chuck it in the bin and then go on and do it again. Mm. So I would go on there, learn the script, I'd never get the script perfectly right because mm-hmm. I'd never remember it right and I haven't mm. got enough time to remember it. I feel like that throwing that piece of paper away, that material away, then allows me to use the same premises but not seeing a piece of paper in front of my, my eyes because I'm very visual. Mm. So... I will see the lines and the bullet points in my in front of my face, and it will create that barrier between me and the audience. Mm. 
and I'll be like a glazed look over my face well and I can't I can't connect with them because I'm just seeing material and, I, and now it's just more about creating and then just just riffing off that material mm. that is that's it never learn it exactly because you want to have some play and some, some yeah. moments of improv to kind of like just grease the wheels along like so do you do you not do any acting anymore then you just you're just focusing on comedy now and I never thought I was that good at acting. Right. Um, however, if any promoters or agents are listening, I'm fucking amazing. Yeah. <laughs> um, I was all right. I mean, I was probably more suited to to theatre, mm. weirdly enough, even though I preferred doing film. It's strange because I love the instant reaction from doing comedy and the laughter and the applause mm. at the end of the applause breaks. But I never really enjoyed doing a play mm. because I think it's because I was not my creation. The difference of film acting was that it puts you like straight in the spotlight mm. and it gives you more work and, and mm. more flexibility more opportunities so that yeah. that's why I sort of wanted to do film but I think because I was always quite bubbly mm. as a kid I'd probably be really good now because mm. I haven't got all that pent-up sort of manic energy that's oh. there that needs to be unleashed anymore because I'm more centered and relaxed than I, than I used to be and yeah. so I probably maturity's done it age yeah, has done it, it. age weird, does slow, yeah. slow you down a bit doesn't yeah. it you're also a radio presenter yes yeah, so I've only just started that I mean because I've been doing the the podcast, Outlook and Live podcast, and another one, the Comedians Outlook, where I interview comedians. And and on the back of I just wanted to get a bit of radio. I've always been interested in radio. And mm. for whatever reason, back when I had the opportunity, I didn't take an opportunity that I didn't do. And then I came back to and I, I sort of discovered podcasts. What was around. the opportunity that you didn't take? It was, it was um, community radio again. It was right. a Cambridge 105 back in the day. Mm. And if I'd started at 18, I'd well on my yeah. way with, with radio presenting That's now. It, man. It's so annoying. Damn. It's so annoying. Yeah. Like, I know I'm only 27, I'm 28 this year, and I'm very young, but for me, that feels like I've been for a massive journey through my 20s, yeah. you know, um, just the story I told earlier yeah. on. And I don't know, I didn't look a day under 35. I had a tough paper round as a kid. I had one of those fucking paper rounds of 200 <laughs> papers. Wow. Right? You yeah. know, not, not one of those evening news ones that yeah. people actually pay for. Yeah. I had one of those where it's counted as spam Whoa. and that you're actually just a parasite. And yeah. I had all my friends boasting they used to get Christmas bonuses. Mm. And I go around and they just tell me, I don't want that fucking paper. Oh, right. The thing is, no free paper, please. And I grew up in a, in a housing society sort of council estate place. Mm. And, and even there, there were, in Cambridge, is it in Cambridge, to be right. fair? Cambridge housing estate was that real tough was it like uh, no was it like, like, no. Yeah, home, like hummus you had to get the like the Tesco's uh, own brand hummus if you're mugged in Cambridge they wanted money for a bespoke sleeping bag right, right. okay you know, embroidered exactly yeah yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, personalised like what was the word a tailor made tailor made sleeping nice. bag nice yeah. Yeah. yeah so you grew up in Cambridge and moved to yeah. Ely yeah because just because I got priced out of Cambridge right, just right. like everyone else at my age yeah. There's no work in Cambridge. The London prices, but the salaries don't reflect it. So. Do you think that Cambridge has got an issue that, that it's not Oxford? Do you think it's like, it's got a real... <laughs> well, you... some some would say Cambridge is better than Oxford, and, and Oxford should be on the other side of this thing. But Would you say um, that? I'd, I'd, say, I'd say that, <laughs> you know, um, I think... Uh, let's name some of the famous comedians that have come out of the Cambridge footlights. Go, go for it, you go for it first. Stephen yeah. Fry, Hugh Laurie. Yeah. Um, did, uh, John Cleese was he Cambridge or was he Oxford he was Oxford I think is it right oh fuck there you go <laughs> right next to him I'm going to need one more now from Oxford I've, I've tripped up myself uh, um, I'm pretty it, sure that Su- Paul, Merton, uh, Paul Merton was Oxford wasn't he uh, I can't remember um, and then Jennifer and um, uh, Africa Ridley Lady oh it's Jennifer and, and, uh, and uh, Jennifer Saunders and, Saunders, and yeah. Dawn uh, French Dawn French yeah yeah they came from Cambridge right French and Saunders. Yeah. Like, that's that's a lot more recognisable. Um, <laughs> no, I, we were on the fucking boat race, mate, yeah. in the summer, so yeah, that's all that matters, right? No, yeah, that's true, so, that's true. Um, 
And like, what have you done? And I've you, said, have you, are you going to apply to do the Cambridge Fringe as one? The, the, the I did do it. I did, did, I, it I did the Cambridge Fringe Festival, the, the free one that um, was run by Ali Great. Warwood. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah, nice. And um, who else? Did uh, you do your, what did you do? Did you do a full show? Compilation. Oh, nice, yeah. nice. I just did a, I did a, um, yeah, just a, just a local like Great. five, ten minutes. Nice. Um, and then it was cancelled and then we had to go run over the projector broke on one of the, the venues so they cancelled one of the compilation shows and then a couple of us did a, a set in place of someone else and then we, it all got very complicated mm. a lot of people didn't get to perform but it was ah, a great day it's right. free and, and Ali and Dan Farmer who, mm. who run it are doing an incredible time. job and yeah. if they could have a bit more a few more volunteers we could probably expand it parts of Cambridge and great. make it a real thing that's what you want isn't it if we, yeah. if we place it before them as well um, and they don't even break even, mate. Uh, uh, and so it's not it's, it's not for them. It's just that they love comedy and they want to create a vibe in Cambridge. And, mm-hmm. and it's, it's incredible. And just to bring that back to the radio, uh, mm-hmm. I had the opportunity to do the radio back then. I didn't do it for whatever reason. Came back. And now mm-hmm. I'm now doing Huntington Community Radio, which is mm-hmm. HCI 104FM. And just presenting an Over To You program, which is like in the community and people's like events and charity events mm-hmm. and stuff. And... Hopefully that will lead to something a bit bigger. Yeah, that's it. You get your show, show real together, and hopefully you'll give something to to the other, uh, to maybe back to Cambridge again. So maybe get back in again. It's like yeah. remember me, I was here when I was eighteen. <laughs> Come on, I've I've grown so much. Yeah. The trouble is when I I sent them a proposal when I first did the the other podcast, Our Luke and Life, which mm. is a very insular sort of mm. three guys in a room talking about issues they have no no idea about, but they mm. think they do. Right. So just just three ignorant guys around it, like mm. most most male podcasts. A bit like a bit like uh, Alan Partridge thing, isn't it? Yeah, Where he yeah. kind of talks about like I don't know what that is, a fox hunting. <laughs> yeah, and I proposed that, and yeah. I think ever since then he was like, no, this is not what we stand for. Right. And so my name was like tarnished by that initial idea that that was this inappropriate thing, which I went on to do a podcast. I think because yeah. I'd said it said it, was, it sounded too insular and too kind of up its own ass sort of mm. thing. Right. And I was like, that's not what you said, but it came across like that. And I said, yeah. oh, that's a massive compliment. That's exactly what I wanted to get across. <laughs> Did you say <laughs> that back to them? <laughs> yeah, I emailed him back. So I love it. I think that's burning a bridge in that sense. Oh, um, oh, but luckily, yeah. luckily they're both they're both they're kind of like affiliate companies, so they right. they kind of work together. So well, that's all right. Then. Maybe so, um, maybe that person might get a leave. reference from the uh, from one. Anyway, I, the, the next radio show I wanted to do, I wanted it to be a paid position. Yeah, and course. I wanted to be following through. I wanted to be paid for it. So yeah. I'm just trying to I'm just trying to you know get a few little strings to my bow. Yeah. And I, I basically I do a CAD, very boring. Uh, my workplace are listening to this. I love my job, uh-huh. um, but I do an office job. It's a Monday to Friday. It's quite mundane. There's nothing fun about drawing lines on a computer. Computer design, right. CAD design. Yes. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Right. So, what, what do you design mostly? Anything. Um, well, we're we're currently. Um, I can't say much about it, but we do telecoms. So we're doing okay. lots of the rollout for the new five G and stuff like that. Okay. All oh, right. Let's go to five G. Okay. What is this? Do you know? That's as far as I can go with that. All right. Okay. Five G. Five G. Like I've heard all these these rumors that it's going to be like cause cancer everywhere. Okay, it's, so there's there's um yeah there's, it's there's not your fault you're designing fried zones um we're not that far from it being the level of microwaves. Whoa, okay. So we're going much further, but then they have this safe zone. So if the zone of this radiation zone it falls within a certain area, they deem it and you can't upgrade it. They just you just can't do it. Oh right, is that right? Okay. Yeah, so if you can do it, either you you raise the antennas so high yeah that it's not going to affect any wildlife or yeah or people yeah. Then, then that's fine. That's what they do. They need to propose steels and everything to raise up the poles okay. and yeah, yeah. stuff. So it's just, that's what it is. And and there's not that many. There's never never really been any real cases of people being like radiated by these things. But right. 
because because the technology is getting better and better and better. Yeah, we're getting closer and closer to really high radiation that's like right. microwaves. Yeah, you know, okay. which is really really cancerous. Um, yeah, or can cause cancer. So yeah. yeah, so that's where we're at. So yeah, there's loads of stuff around it, and it's like deals and stuff in America get mm. complicated about certain um, Huawei, um, the the big company that's rolling yeah. it all out. You know, Trump saying that banning it from Google and all that sort of stuff. It, it's all going to go ahead. The yeah. deal's done. Is is yeah, right. as far as it's going to go, and it's it's all going to be fine. So I do a very boring job. Okay, yeah. it doesn't sound that boring actually when you uh, say it yeah, like yeah. that. Um, yeah. but drawing lines is is very repetitive. Yeah, um, I'll bet. Yeah. So what I really want to do is be able to monetize media or entertainment and and make sure that I'm in and amongst the world mm. so you get the right connections. Yeah. You're getting paid for it. In hindsight, I would have just jumped straight into a runner role at the age of. 17 and I'd probably be somewhere now yeah well it doesn't always work that way it doesn't no. always work the, 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 the work experience thing it's like as I said I've done a work experience myself and like you know you could be in there for two weeks and then someone that might come yeah. in potentially female mm. uh, uh, and be potentially blonde and uh, or identify as a female blonde female and they might come in and then they might go oh we need you because you're These... uh, this fitness box and yeah. you are just the guy that you know, Straight white male. So. Got bipolar. I could use that. That's exactly. Yeah. Make sure you just nail that on yeah, the yeah, application yeah. form. It's like, look, you know, <laughs> and if and if you don't hire me, I'm going to have an episode. Yeah. That's what it's going to be. It'll be your fault. I'm going to put in the papers. Yeah. You know, that's what it is. I do, I do a bit about the you know the universal credit thing. Like yeah. bipolar is one of those things that's not quite bad enough to qualify for universal credit. But they, they and they haven't quite released universal credit just yet because it plays on the whole buying binary sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not, and it's like you get the best of both moods. But in the worst case, you never, you don't qualify for like a disabled badge, but mm. you could technically become disabled with it. Yeah, um, that's what. It's yeah, a really odd thing. It's a very grey area. You're right. You've been directing. You've been. You've done improv. You've been. You've been performing since the age of seven. And I'd say, you, um, and you've had a manic episode, and like now you also write. A, you write write a sitcom. Is that what it is? Yeah. So so um in we you know you're, you're from Ireland um. Mm. We spoke a bit about it in in our other conversation, and um, yeah, my I grew up with um Irish grandparents, oh. and and so I got the whole charm, the Irish um charm. Oh. The sitcom was going to be called um Hello There. Oh. Uh, I, so I, I said, said like I said like Hello There. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, I realised I said oh, Hello there. there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I realised I I just said that in a very posh English accent. Yeah. Um, which has no, it would make no sense in the. You need, the a, thing. need, a, need to drop a cap as you say in the English exactly, accent. Yeah, but it's like the uh, so whereabouts in Ireland are you from? Me and myself, I'm I'm born and raised. I'm third generation, second generation mm. um, Irish. But my my grandparents were born in actually Cork. Oh, um, awesome. my my grandfather was from um, Barry. Right. And my grandma was from um, Douglas. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So I've been to I've been to Cork. Mm-hmm. Amazing place. Glengareth is where we stayed. Oh, at. Beautiful. beautiful. I love Glengareth, man. It's um, the sort of place when I was seventeen. There, they said that you can't leave Ireland without drinking real stout. So I was seventeen mm-hmm. and drinking stout in in Ireland. So it was fine. Yeah, so they're, they're from there. So he's got this whole charm, and throughout his whole life, he's always been, he's always been charming people. Always, uh, he always had the line. He always had, mm-hmm. you know, I've been around the country. I've I've served, I've served in the army for twenty five years. Mm-hmm. I've been to Cyprus. I've been all over the world, but I've never met anyone as more beautiful than you. And he said that to every female I'd ever meet. So this whole this whole sitcom was about this guy that was was an alcoholic. Um, smoked forty fifty cigarettes a day. It was and it was of a very different era where his wife was reared the children mm. he went out to work he was in the army he, he had post-traumatic stress in between being out in the army they, they were mm. an army family they traveled with him but he'd be aggressive he'd be abusive mm. he'd be out 
um, spending all the money on the horses and losing money and then getting drunk and everything like that and coming home and he lives his lifestyle like this and he was, he was a bit dismissive of his kids. A lot of this becomes embellished and stuff and, and mm. it gets a bit more dramatised but you create this, this, this character that you really dislike but mm. you see him when he's with his army friends and his squaddies and everything mm. that he's very, very likeable mm. and then when he works for, for Trinity College in Cambridge he becomes likeable. The students absolutely love him. Mm. He's this amazing Irish guy that everyone mm. loves but when he comes home it's a different story. He's already drunk. He's already smoking his cigarettes. And and then what it does, what the thing is, he's, he's then out of the pub and he gets a call from his wife mm. and says that their eldest is expecting their first child. He has a minor heart attack. His whole life changed after that. You know, at the age of like 60 odd, the doctor said, if you, if you carry on living your life like this, you're not going to live to see your grandchild. Mm -hmm. And then it switched. Mm. His whole life changed. He stopped drinking the following day mm. he stopped smoking the following day and then you see this this completely different person change he gives up smoking gives up gambling gives mm. up all these things and then has grandchildren and he's the best granddad day he's the most charming person this person that he was before he retired mm. he's now with his family and everything else but you still have this kind of this memory of his kids that remember mm. how he was and his mm. wife remember how he was and so it follows that when you become a grandparent what happens is you all you want to do is make sure that everyone's going to be all right, yeah, yeah. right? So all he wants, all he ever wants anymore is for his grandchildren to love him. Because his community and his friends are going to remember him for being this fun, bubbly guy mm -hmm. and putting on a good party and always being the first there when someone has an issue. Mm. And then make sure that all of his family are financially stable. Mm. He just wants to leave them something, yeah. and that's what he wants. But in a bid to do this, he, he, he's very clumsy. So he'll yeah. give this big speech about this egg, mm -hmm. right? Look after this egg. I yeah. found this egg in the garden. Yeah. It's a separate from yeah. and then drops it. Everyone on side of him. Mm -hmm. And then his mood changes again. This mm -hmm. angry mood swing at this yeah. one guy, where he used to be, comes out slightly and goes, yeah. oh, fuck this, fuck everything. He's a, mm -hmm. he's a, he's a Catholic. He, he's, mm -hmm. he's trying to be a good Christian. He's mm -hmm. trying to be a good Catholic. He's trying to be a good granddad. But then just Fs and blinds in front of mm. all his family, in front of like... He's trying to change a pattern that really just is, is so deeply ingrained. And it never gets, never yeah. quite gets there. So each yeah. episode ends with, or he goes through these different experiences where, where he had this big build up to what he's trying to achieve. Mm. And then he just can't achieve it because something happened, you know. And it's just very, very funny. And That's it's connectable all, very much so in yeah. life. Because like surely, you know, everyone's trying to, to, to strive for, for that that thing that they want. And, yeah, yeah. And maybe never quite make it. But just yeah, yeah. Like, just That's what comedy is for me. Yeah, that's... So it's an idea I've had for years. I've had it since a kid. I've watched these things happen. Mm -hmm. And I just know that no one in my family is going to write it. Mm -hmm. Because no one in my family are writers except mm -hmm. myself. It needs to be done because it's hilarious. And I've been writing it this morning and I've been laughing mm -hmm. all the way through because I'm remembering a bit of things that happened. So it's kind of like most of it's true happenings or they're embellished truths, but they're just very, very relatable and very funny. I'll give you another example of someone that he did once. He had this big bouncy castle. It's a whole family, whole family affair. It gets all the family, all the community and gets all the Catholics. Everyone's around. This big thing. Now he's going to be the, the man of the town. Everyone's going to love mm -hmm. him. He wants to be fun. He jumps on the bouncy castle. He's bouncing with everyone else. Everyone's watching, loving mm. it. The, the, the organizer of this party, mm. who's, who's fun, bubbly, and everything, bounces one too many times and ends up in a bush over mm. the neighbor's garden. Mm -hmm. like he bounces over out of the thing and hurts himself, mm. but everyone laughs. And it, it mixed with his wife, who's, just, who, who's got this most unassuming thing about her. She was originally a nun when she was very, very young. Mm. She was in a nunnery and then. They sort of broke away, escaped to England, technically when she was pregnant. And um, so it was all very dodgy um, at the time. You know, Protestants and Catholics yeah, meeting yeah. was, ooh, 
big man. Relations was even more <laughs> new frowned upon. Like, yeah. <laughs> wow. they, have, they have five kids in the end. Wow, um, yeah, that's great. All above board, um, yeah. all, all within marriage yeah. potentially. And yeah. so she laughs. So, so she, all she can do, he's he needs recovering and helping, mm-hmm. but she's just there raucously <laughs> laughing because she finds it too funny. So the one person that he trusts the most is just laughing at him. Yeah. There's another time that he goes, he's so proud of having an orchard tree. He's got all the community, all the family there again, and he's picking apples, he's on a ladder. Mm-hmm. Right? Everyone sort of moves away from the scene, goes into the living room, mm-hmm. leaves him out there. And then all you see in the background through the window is him hanging from the tree because the ladder's it's falling. Away, yeah, yeah. And the first person to see it is his wife, who again yeah. just stands there laughing. He's going, bloody hell, Noreen! Jesus Christ, Noreen! I'm going to die, I'm going to die. And she gets yeah. really, really worried. Yeah. And he's just going mental, but everyone's laughing at him. Yeah. But he just wants everyone to like him. He wants to be remembered for something. And what? And he tries so hard to be remembered for all the serious things. Mm. But actually, he's just a legend because all of these things that have happened to him are hilarious. And he's yeah. loved just for that. Yeah. And remembered for that. And a lovable fool. Like exactly, you know, that's yeah. it. Uh, what it really reminds me of, I know it's com- com- in comparison, is like, have you ever watched In Sickness and in Health? Yeah, and I lo- and I love the relatableness of like he's such an he's such an idiot, but he occasionally he's got like a moment when you're like I just really want things to work out for him, but yeah, they yeah. never do because he's such an idiot, you know. He because mm. he's so he was he's so that selfishness in him is so ingrained, you know. I mean, it, watching it now is so dated, but, but and, yeah, yeah. and also some of the stuff is not PC back then. It was really groundbreaking ahead of ahead of its time. It was dealing with racism. And mm. dealing with other things as well, but it was a lovely thing that knew what it was and was very clever in, in the way that it dealt with sort of subjects like that. But that is really it's it's a it's a really lovely thing because we all know people that are are trying to change, but they just can't. And nothing yeah, will yeah, work yeah. out for them. That's a lovely that's a lovely thing. It's a lovely uh, idea. I think. Oh, well, I'll, I look forward to seeing it. You, <laughs> have you have you made any of the episodes yet? Um, no, I'm currently writing a treatment and doing the character profiles. Great, which, and I've written the treatment. I'm I'm just about to start writing the pilot mm-hmm. episode, and then once I've got that, I'll probably send it off to a couple of agents. And that's great. Right? Okay. Um, all the disciplines come together, man. That's it. They all have help, and the, the, the they all come up together. That's what mm-hmm. I'm saying. Also, you've got the the radio, uh, you've got the sitcom, you've yeah. been the stand up. It all it all just fine tunes everything that you're doing. You know, that's great, man. And the directing as well. You've got everything there. Then. Yeah, the directing. I've i I guess I'll I'll pick that up with if I ever do this because I, I I realized that I couldn't play myself as a grandchild anymore. Mm. It just wouldn't work. I'd yeah. probably have to be my dad yeah. now, in it. Yeah, yeah. Because I'm at that age now. I'm, I'm now the age that my dad was when when I was that young. Mm. Um, so it's it's weird how it's weird how your life changes oh, like yeah. that. Yeah. If I was to star on it, I'd have to be like one of the uncles. Yeah. Which is you really depressing. You could be the son still. You could still be the son, couldn't you? Yeah, the the, the aunties and uncles who mm. the next generation, but. Like but a major my, part, though, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> you don't want like a sideline. No, no, definitely not. You want to sideline yourself an yeah. extra in your own. I definitely sitcom. couldn't play my seven-year-old self anymore. Yeah, that's true. Uh, yeah. So just walking in your knees. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Have yeah. a shave. That's fine. Do you run a night in Cambridge? Yes, the, the Bridge Comedy Club, which is I've got two more of it being like an open mic sort of night, new materials night, and then in September is going to sort of a more pro night where I'm doing live recordings of the Comedians Out League podcast with mm. professional comedians, some TV names, some big names in the circuit. So what what it'll be is going to be like, you'll have like me and myself emceeing because I realised, I guess the me going back to emceeing was that I couldn't do the podcast, a live recording of the podcast and not be the MC because mm. the whole person presenting it is me. So I'm going to have to be likeable in some way or another. I'm going to have to 
introduced everything of the night. So mm. I go on there with a bit of material myself. I come, you know, do myself, and I think it will help with my own material and get mm. the message out. And Definitely. I always struggle tying these things together. Mm. You know, like do the radio, do the podcast, do mm. the comedy, do the writing, do the directing, and all that sort of stuff. Trying to piece these things together, I find really difficult, mm. and I'm trying to find ways of making sure that I can plug all of them at the mm. same time without being so obvious. So yeah. if I do like the comedy slash podcast night, then I have me doing a bit of material. I have a middle spot that's, again, potentially semi to pro and a paid spot. And then the featured comedian does like 30 minutes mm. and then have an hour-long interview in front of a live audience. Um, so that's going to start in at the end of September and that's going to be like seven quid oh, nice. on a Monday night. Which some have said this is quite high, but I think for... Everything that you get out mm. of that, I think that's a good price because there's nothing around Cambridge here doing live mm-hmm. podcasts. Apart from that, what's the next move for you then, Luke? Yeah, I really want to write this sitcom. I, I really want to... I mean, I've, I've even reduced the amount of gigs I'm doing and mm. the other podcasts I've been doing has been sort of put to bed for a bit because I just need this time. I really... I get inspired during the day and mm. I'm like, I can't even write right now. If I could do a job where I could just sort of half do the job and half write the sitcom at the same time and work from home maybe yeah. I'd love it but I, I really want to get a good few hours like a day to do that so yeah I'm, I'm still trying to because I've got to a point now with the comedy that I feel like I've gotten over the initial kind of nerves that I originally have and the 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 issues I had from the past and mm. all that and so now I know that I could just rock up at a comedy club and make people laugh mm-hmm. because I am just a funny guy and I realise I don't have to try to be funny I'm mm. just funny mm-hmm. and that's okay that's fine I could just go on and be funny mm-hmm. and tell stories yeah. And it's all right if people will laugh. So I don't have, I don't worry about that anymore. So I proved to myself I can do it. Mm-hmm. I don't, I'm not so anxious about booking the gigs now or getting noticed for it because I know that will come. So I'm trying to just trying to balance all of this along with my amazing relationship. And yeah. I think just just continue to be happy and stable. I think is all I can really hope. I think that's what we're all hoping for. To be fair, is it just happy, just a yeah. continuous happiness for a bit, you know? And just and, uh, and for the benefit of a callback. I just want to get better at making spaghetti bolognese. Oh, right, nice. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's a very underrated dish, to be fair. <laughs> yeah. So we can find you at Huntington FM, is it? It's um, HCR104FM. Um, just type that into Google. Yeah. You can listen to it on TuneIn now, I think. Mm-hmm. You can just listen to it anywhere. So you could be in the other side of the world and listen to it. Nothing that we're talking about is going to be relevant to you. You'll hear you my might voice. Be in Cambridge one day. That's yeah, that's it. true. You know, yeah. For the Fringe or like, you know, the, the, the live podcast and the show you're going to be doing on Monday nights. Yeah, and I, I, you can follow me on, on social media, but I'm terrible at updating it. Please put them in the show notes. And that's at Luke A. Comedian. Yeah. Um, my website's LukeAntonyComedy.co.uk. Mm. There's all sorts of shit on there that I, that I post up and, yeah. and stuff. I, it's all written in third person as well. Right. Like, uh, it's the yeah. thing to do when you write, like, a resume. It's, like, mm. writing in third person. But I haven't got an agent. No one's yeah. writing it for me. I'm writing it myself about myself. I'm it's having okay. to become psychotic to write about myself because I have to refer to myself as a third person. It's it, mental. A psychotic egomaniac, isn't it? That's <laughs> yeah. what it is, yeah. It's mad. Yeah. Um, it's coming so for you. <laughs> I, look, I, I look forward to being able to just putting, like, an agent stamp on, on the website just so... It looks like someone manages it rather mm-hmm. than myself because yeah. what happens is they email Luke Anthony Comedy that is potentially like an institution and then they get a response back from Luke Anthony mm-hmm. but they just read all about him in third person. So yeah. it's, the, it's, it's, it's the, weird. It's so you need to get your, your missus to pretend to be an agent for you. That's yeah. I a lot of people do that. Yeah. I, know, I know 
I now check my own website to realize what gigs I'm doing now. Yeah. I, I update it and I forget. And I have to log on to my own website just to remember what I'm doing. It's got very busy. Luke, I really look forward to seeing your fringe show. You've done, <laughs> you've done half for me. Luke, uh, thanks for coming to Comedy Effect, man. I've, I've really enjoyed it, man. Nice yeah, to meet appreciate. you. Appreciate Again, we're, we're, we're shaking. We're shaking hands. Benefit the listener. Benefit the listener. <laughs> yeah. That's been great, man. Thanks yeah. for coming on. Great. Thanks for having me, man. And that was episode 76 of the Comedy Defect podcast with a very funny and busy Luke Anthony, comedian. You can find him on all of the socials with a tag at Luke A Comedian. Go to his website, which is luke-anthonycomedy.co.uk. And he's also got a podcast called The Comedian's Outlook. And I started up this nearly news show as well with President Abonjo, another comedian that's also been on this podcast. Uh, now, go find him, go see him live. He's set up the live podcasts in Cambridge that he has a featured comedian on, and then he does a live podcast after with that said comedian. Uh, you can also um, follow my uh, Twitter, which is at Joker underscore season. I've got loads of followers, 15. About the same amount of tweets as well. I'm building up. I deleted my old Twitter account, got all the jokes off it, rewrote them, and then set up a new one. That's what I felt like doing. And my Instagram is at Winter Dominus, which will be for this show as well. So if you want to follow us there. If you like this episode, tell your friends. If you want to subscribe, we're on iTunes, we're on Stitcher, we are on Podbean, we're on Spotify, we're on those places. And, uh, you know, there's, there's those stuff happening soon because I am starting up comedy again. The lockdown is easing. The night I first started up before the lockdown four months ago could potentially start again. It'd be great. It was a theatre. It was nice. They loved the first night. And it was like, oh, everything's going great. And then it just went away. So hopefully we can bring that back. Fingers crossed. I'll let you know. I'll, I'll advertise it here. And we can all have fun. And it's got seats that, you know, come out electrically. It's a really lovely, lovely room. And uh, the Fisheries Wharf Cafe will be starting up again, I'm sure. And we'll have that room back. The old stomping ground for comedy in Hemel Hempstead. So yeah, that was episode 76. The next episode we've got is with a very funny, more alternative comedian. He's, he just marks himself as a bit more odd. And he also has a podcast as well called The Comedian's Tea Party. His name is Cy Deves. And that is for episode 77 at the end of August. Uh, until then, enjoy the easing of the lockdown. And finally, we can get a bit of hope back. We can start making plans, go on holiday and enjoy our lives, you know, maybe connect with all our family and friends again. That's it. Enjoy the next month, bit of sun, a few barbecues. My birthday's in between now and the next episode, so I'll tell you how that went as well. Uh, until the next episode, episode 77 with Cy Deves. He also has a podcast called The Comedian's Tea Party. Go check that out. Enjoy your August. <laughs>